listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Every passage has a purpose. And today, as we look at Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 14, we're going to find out the purpose of this particular passage. You're going to be able to apply it in your own life. You're going to be able to take your next steps in your walk with God based on what we see here in the Word of God. The Bible is such a book that man couldn't write if he would and wouldn't write if he could. That's the book that we are looking at today. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 14. Now he, Jesus, he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, Jesus, Knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Perfect opportunity for Jesus to have thrown a little caveat toward his mother. Encouraged a little veneration of Mary. Encouraged a little bit of Mary worship. As somebody who was raised Roman Catholic in Italian family, I had a double whammy. I know a little bit about what it means to worship Mary, to put Mary in a place of esteem and stature that even Jesus did not put her. Now, we in the evangelical community have done a fine job incorrectly of belittling the role of Mary. She plays a significant role in Scripture. And Jesus is not belittling the woman's comment about blessed is the womb that bore you. Jesus is in no way, shape, or form belittling that. But what he is putting a stop to is putting Mary on a pedestal that is above a mere mortal. 
And what Jesus is doing is elevating the importance of keeping the Word of God, putting into practice this book that we wouldn't write if we could and couldn't write if we would, the Bible, putting it into practice. There is a blessing for keeping the Word of God. If you want to be blessed this week, if you want to be blessed in your life generally, then you've got to be a man, woman, boy, or girl who not only reads the Bible, but puts the Bible into practice. If you keep the words in this book, your entire life will be transformed. Your entire life will be blessed. Who wants the blessing of God in their life? If you want the blessing of God in your life, then it's not possible to have the blessing that God wants to give you. Listen, God wants to bless you. He's your father. He's your heavenly father. If you're his child, if you're his daughter, if you're his son, God wants to bless you. He wants to more than you even understand. He wants to bless you. And that blessing comes by keeping the word of God. You can be as blessed as you're willing to be blessed if you will keep the word of God. Look with me at verse 14. Chapter 11, Jesus casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. Jesus casting out demons at will, with ease, with consistency. Any and every time Jesus wanted to deal with a wicked spirit, like a hot knife through butter, no problem for Jesus. At will, he's dealing with demons, with ease ease he's dealing with demons with consistency every single time Jesus is opposed the opposer gets put in his place and once again we see that happening in this passage of scripture this time with a mute man a man who can't speak now in today's world we would rationalize it away the man's got a physiological biological speech impediment Maybe he was born that way, maybe he came later in life, but surely there is a physical, natural reason for this man's incapacity to talk. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are reading the Bible and seeking to keep the words of this book, the Bible, you understand that the Christian worldview The biblical worldview is that it is not possible, it is not appropriate to separate what's happening in the natural world, in the physiological realm, in the biological realm from the spiritual realm. These two are inseparable. They are intertwined. The natural world and the spiritual world are intertwined, and we in the West primarily look at what's happening in life with a rationalistic worldview. Even those of us who are Christians, we see mere natural cause and effect, natural consequences. We are always on the quest to explain away what cannot be explained away supernaturally. These are intertwined. Now, interesting that this passage of Scripture was written by a physician, written by a doctor. Luke, and what does Luke present to us? The idea that this man had a physical, natural problem which had at its root a supernatural cause. And we would do well to sit up and listen. 
Because not all natural occurrences have a natural cause. Not all problems that happen in the natural world are merely natural events, explainable by mere human means. Luke, the physician, the doctor, familiar with illness, familiar with infirmity, familiar with sickness, familiar with physiological, biological issues, bridges the gap for us here today in the 21st century. He helps us understand, do not just look at the events in your life as if they're only natural events. There can be supernatural causes behind what's happening in your life. Supernatural reasons why things are happening in your life the way they are happening. We are not as followers of Christ to simply go through our lives with a cause and effect. It's natural, it can be rationalized, it can be explained away through mere mortal means. Now this does not mean that everything that happens in the world is caused by a demonic entity. It doesn't mean that we are to be on a witch hunt, that everything that happens is a demon of this and a demon of that. Sometimes there are issues of the flesh as we're going to look at in this passage. what's related to this passage. Sometimes there are sin issues. And there's danger in those sin issues for reasons that we're about to understand. But neither of those views is a biblical view, the view that everything can be explained away through natural means, or that everything can be explained by supernatural means. The truth is that you and I don't always know We don't always understand the spiritual cause of what might be looking as a symptom in the natural realm. See, a lot of times what's happening in the natural realm is merely a symptom. It's merely a consequence. It's merely a byproduct of the real underlying reason. Now, if it was true here, with a man who was mute and could not speak, that's a pretty significant issue. And when the demon was, was taken care of, the biological, physiological, the, the issue that he had in, in his inability to speak was also taken care of. And you've got to be careful in your life. I've got to be careful in my life that you don't give in to a rationalistic worldview which is not biblical and explain away all the events that are happening in your life, the chaos that's happening in your life, the physiological difficulties that are happening in your life, the obstacles that are happening in your life, the hardships that are happening in your life. All of those things could have, they don't necessarily have to have, but they certainly could have a spiritual cause behind them, an underlying root. And if you deal with that root, you won't have to worry about the fruit. It'll take care of itself. If there's a man here, and there is, who had a demon-caused inability to speak, that's a pretty significant issue. If the greater is true, then certainly evil spirits, wicked spirits, unclean spirits, agents of Satan, agents as we see of Beelzebub, can operate in this realm, in this natural world, to oppose the plan, the purpose of God. And if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, you better believe that you will be opposed, tooth and nail. Jesus was opposed. 
This idea of this mute person being in front of Jesus is an affront. How can there be a demonic entity that's holding somebody captive tolerated by Jesus? That's completely unacceptable. And so Jesus, he deals with it. And no sooner does Jesus deal with the demonic entity manifesting in the physical realm that more opposers are coming before Jesus. Look what I'm saying here. Look what the passage says. Verse 15. See, they want to explain how Jesus is able to do this. This is a passage that helps us understand how Jesus does what he does. If we understand how Jesus does what he does, we'll understand who Jesus is that enables him to do what he does. It's about the identity of Jesus. Verse 15, chapter 11. Some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. We're going to look at that idea of a sign in our next time together. But he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, interesting that Jesus is demonstrating omniscience here. He's able to know the thoughts of people as no mere mortal can. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges." See, the issue here is, how does Jesus have the power to do what he's doing? The issue is not anybody wondering that Jesus has power. They're not even discussing that. They're not questioning that Jesus has the ability to cast out demons. What they're questioning is the source of Jesus' power, the source of Jesus' capability. And Jesus says to them, listen, this idea of exorcism is not a big deal. Your sons followers of God, the Jewish people, are, some of them are exorcists. You wouldn't say that they're casting out demons by Beelzebul, by Satan, would you? That would be a ridiculous thing to suggest. But yet they are able to do it. So this idea of casting out demons was not a new concept. It was not a foreign concept. But what Jesus had that the exorcists did not have, the Jewish exorcists did not have, Jesus had the ability at will, with ease, and a 100% track record to deal with every wicked spirit that he encountered, whether it was a physical manifestation and a spiritual problem or an outright demon coming and thrashing about, whatever the manifestation was, if it was demonically caused, Jesus at will, with ease, with consistency, dealt with them. A 100% track record. And so Jesus says, it's a ridiculous argument. Think about the stupidity of your argument here. You have people in your own midst who are casting out demons. Are they doing it by the power of Beelzebub? The answer would be, of course not. Well, if they're not doing it by the power of the devil, and they're doing it by the power of God, why would you attribute what I'm doing to the power of the devil when I'm doing it with greater ease, consistency, at will. In fact, my whole reputation can be summarized by a phrase. Look with me at verse 20. 
The entire reputation of Jesus is summarized with this phrase which becomes tremendously potent, tremendously significant, something that we should pay attention to in Luke eleven twenty. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, the finger of God, that's the phrase. If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The finger of God, the kingdom of God. The finger of God, an important phrase that they would have picked up on, being Jews, being familiar with Exodus chapter 8, for example. Look with me, Exodus chapter 8. This is a significant phrase that Jesus is using. He's not out of his mind. He's entirely in his mind, intentionally using the right word at the right time to have maximum effect. That's what Jesus is doing. And so when Jesus says, if it is by the finger of God, the Jewish people would sit up and take the finger of God. Did he just say the finger of God? Is he saying that it is by the finger of God that he's doing these things? You better believe that's exactly what he's saying. And this, Exodus chapter 8, verse 16, is what you would be familiar with And what they would be familiar with, having heard Jesus say that. Look, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. This is during the 10 plagues. This is the third of the 10 plagues where Moses and Aaron are before Pharaoh. And God is about ready to release the Jewish people from 400 years, over 400 years of oppression. This is the third of the plagues. Look, strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Verse 17. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians, Pharaoh's henchmen, tried by their secret arts in a counterfeit way to produce gnats. But they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. The plan of God goes forward. Verse 19, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The finger of God. This is the finger of God. A phrase that's repeatedly used in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 31. Look with me at Exodus chapter 31 in verse 18. God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments on the tablet of stone. And this is that section that's recorded here. He gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. The finger of God. And again in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10. This is Moses recounting what we just looked at in Exodus 31, and the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. This is so exciting. I just want to jump up and down and scream and holler. The finger of God, Jesus is saying, you know the finger of God that you're so familiar with in the Old Testament where God is using his messenger Moses to provide his message of deliverance from his people. You know that finger of God in the Old Testament? 
The finger of God is my finger. It is me by the finger of God driving out demons. And if that's the case, in a same way and yet a greater way of the Old Testament where the kingdom of God was advancing through his servant Moses, the kingdom of God is now advancing through me, the servant spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 18, where God says, I will send a prophet from among you. Like Moses, Jesus is that person. Jesus is the one with the message. Jesus is the messenger. And that message is by the finger of God to put faith in Jesus, to put your trust in Jesus. Eventually, it would culminate on the cross where Jesus would give his own sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own body. Jesus has the message of forgiveness of sin by personal faith in him. Jesus is the messenger giving the message, and it is by the finger of God that he's doing all of his works. And the Jewish people should have sat up and noticed. This is not by Beelzebul. Where's that name come from, Beelzebul? Second Kings chapter 1, King Ahaziah had mixed some pagan worship, the Philistine god called Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. Ahaziah was calling out to Beelzebub instead of Yahweh, the living and true God, the only real God. And God says his prophet to rebuke the king and say, what, is there no God in Israel that you have to call out to a pagan God? On top of that, Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies. Another translation could be Lord of dung. It's a derogatory word that's used, derogatory phrase that's used here. By the time we get to Jesus using it, a derivative, Beelzebul, of Beelzebub. By the time we get Jesus using it, it's a derogatory term spoken of the God, quote unquote, of the flies, of the dung. Now, there's a phenomenon that's going to happen out here when it gets a little bit hotter. And you're going to experience this if you cut your own grass, And even if you don't cut your own grass, you still might experience this on a hot day. I know it's hard to imagine it being 90, 100 degrees when we're supposed to get another two to three inches of snow tonight. In fact, some hot weather might be a nice bit of relief for some of us. But if you have a dog or your neighbor has a dog and it's a really hot summer day, and maybe you have a dog, maybe you're the one with the dog and you forget you let your dog out before you cut your grass, And then you go out on that hot day with your lawnmower, and as you're making your way, enjoying the beauty of the grass and how wonderful your grass is coming up, you see an affront right there in your path, a steamy clump, a gift that your dog deposited in your path on that hot, steamy summer day. And on that pile, something else would have gathered. Sometimes they're black, sometimes they're green, sometimes they're fuzzy, they're disgusting. They are flies, and they're hanging out on the dung. They're enjoying themselves, having a feast, while you hopefully didn't step in it. This is the Lord of the flies that they are comparing Jesus to. They're taking the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and they're comparing him to the Lord of the flies, the Lord of the dung. The implication here is that there's no comparison whatsoever. Look at what Jesus says in verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
The implication here is that because the finger of God is on Jesus and because the demons are being cast out and because people who are lame are walking and the mute are talking and all of this miraculous wonders are all these miraculous wonders are happening through Jesus that the kingdom of God is upon them and that means the messenger of God is among them the message of God of repentance turning from sin Being forgiven of sin is being given to the people, and that means there must be a response, either to receive Jesus, the messenger, and the message, and to be forgiven, or to reject Jesus and to be opposed. Whoever is not with him is against him. Whoever is against him is also scattering. That's what Jesus is presenting. There's always a decision to be made when Jesus shows up on the scene. Always a decision to be made. Decisions, decisions, decisions. The decision to go further in our walks with God or to stay where we are. The decision to allow Jesus to take us deeper and further or to stay stuck in the mud. And here they are in the irony of ironies comparing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to the Lord of the Flies and the Lord of the Dung. And there's just a a sense of absolute absurdity In their thinking, what is their thinking? They could have the Lord of Lords. And they're settling for the Lord of the Flies. They're stopping short of recognizing the cause of Jesus' power. The miraculous ability of Jesus to do what he's doing comes from the hand of God himself. Jesus is demonstrating the finger of Almighty God so that all men are without excuse whether it's merely a physiological issue or whether it's a demonic issue that's manifesting symptoms in the natural world, it is irrelevant in the sense of Jesus being there and being opposed. And we either get with Jesus who has the message, who is the messenger, who is the deliverer himself, or by default, we're opposing him. It's interesting, Jesus takes them from their known, which is limited and cloudy and faulty, and is about to give them a lesson on demonology that they probably were not expecting. A lesson about the spiritual world and the spirit world that they were not anticipating probably when they got up that morning to have their nice, delicious breakfast sandwich. Verse 24 of Luke 11 When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, in other words, you could almost hear Jesus saying, oh, since you brought up Beelzebul, the prince of demons, which is synonymous with the devil, with Satan, they're synonymous, they're used interchangeably. They're saying that it's by the power of Satan that Jesus is doing what he's doing. And Jesus has said, that's a ridiculous argument. And then he says, but since you brought up the topic of Satan, let's talk about unclean spirits for a moment because I'm gonna give you a little bit of an idea of how they operate. And what does he do? Verse 24, when the unclean spirit, the demon, the wicked spirit, has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first few things about evil spirits, demons, that we learn here is that they like human hosts. 
they like to make themselves at home with a human. It's not their preferred place to be out in waterless areas. Why is it saying waterless or arid or desert places? That's not a place of comfort. The implication is that the most comfortable place that a demon is, is in your house and in mine, if he can get there. The most comfortable place that a demon can be is in your body or in mine. Or I don't want to debate about the theology of it. How about just around your body, upon your body? Something that is not good is demonic activity. And what we understand here is that evil spirits like humans. They prefer a human host. Not only that, they not only like humans, as it says there, but they also, verse 25, when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Evil spirits prefer chaos. They create chaos, disorder. How do I know that? It says here very clearly that the evil spirit leaves, and then it comes back and it sees that the house is swept and in order. It doesn't seem to like that. See, we learned that the third thing, evil spirits are relentless. They do not give up easily. Verse 26, it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. The idea is that evil spirits enjoy a human host. That's their preferred home where they can set up residency. And when that happens, they bring with them chaos and difficulty and hardship. See, not all chaos is just because you are a disorganized person. Not all hardship is necessary in the natural realm. It could be a cause and a byproduct of demonic activity. And the thing that we learn from this passage is that evil spirits don't like to give up easily. They don't like to relinquish territory. They like their house. And if they're not capable of getting what they lost back, they will not give up easily. They will go out of their way to get some other henchmen to join them. Sounds like some of the people I knew in New Jersey. Get some other buds to come with them and to regain what they lost. We are not to make light of demonic activity. The reality of the spiritual world should be crystal clear for us, for those of us who say we have a biblical worldview. The spirit world is real. Evil spirits want to oppose the plan and purpose of God. Evil spirits, unclean spirits, want to oppose the messengers of God, the servants of God. Jesus is an expert knowing their strategy, knowing how they function, and we're getting a behind-the-scenes look here as to the way they operate, as to what they enjoy, as to what they create. They create chaos and difficulty and hardship. A number of years ago, I got a phone call from the superintendent of the Eastern District of a well-known denomination in the United States. If I said the denomination, you would know them. You've heard of them before. And I was involved in helping people with demonic issues for a while, helping counsel people who had demonic issues. Superintendent heard that I was doing that, and they had a situation between a pastor and his wife that they suspected there were some demonic issues involved. And they asked me if I would be willing to help them out because they were at their wit's end. They didn't know what else to do with this pastor and his wife. 
They suspected demonic activity, but they were getting nowhere, so they called me in, and I sat down with the superintendent, with the wife and the husband. We began to talk, and I was with the wife for a while. Everyone left, and I was with the wife, counseling with her, listening to her story. And she began to explain the details of an affair that she had. An affair. And she began to go into great detail, so much so that I was getting very uncomfortable with all the details she was providing, and I finally had to say, okay, I've heard enough, I understand, an affair is an affair, and no matter how you slice it, there was sexual immorality involved there, I understand, I've heard enough. Then I went and I got the superintendent and the husband, and we came back, and all of us were sitting in the room together. And the husband began to recount some of his story about how they had had difficulties as a couple. And when those difficulties began to emerge, and the husband revealed that he had met the man that this woman was involved with, his wife. He met the man. And on one occasion, out of that man's mouth came words that were not really his own. His voice changed, the tone of his voice changed, the inflection changed. And out of that man's mouth, the pastor sitting there said, the man said, I'm such a demon as you have not known since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as those words came out of his mouth, having heard what I just heard from his wife, I looked at his wife in amazement and her mouth was on the floor as she was flabbergasted. He didn't know her whole story. And she didn't know his whole story. And we were able to connect the dots. And we're taught very clearly that not all physical activity is merely of the flesh. Sometimes it is demonically energized and manifests itself in the flesh. And you know, that's not far enough to say that. What we need to say is that in the same way that flies are attracted to dung, demons are attracted to sin. In the same way that flies love dung, they love it. Feel at home there. Have a heyday there. In the same way, demonic entities, unclean spirits, evil spirits, demons enjoy sin. And the implication seems to be here that the house can be cleaned up and swept. All of us do quick cleans on our house. When a guest is coming over unannounced, we do the quick clean. We get the Clorox wipe and we go into the bathroom and we wipe out the countertop really quickly. We do a quick clean on the toilet because we don't want the Lord of the dung hanging out there, right? We open up our closets and we shove huge amounts of stuff into our closets to get rid of it. And we forget about it for sometimes weeks and months later and sometimes longer than that. We open up the closet door and everything comes out and we say, oh, that's where it is. I remember when I was doing the quick clean, I shoved everything into this closet. See, there's a difference, spiritually speaking, between doing a quick clean and a deep cleanse. Because evil spirits don't give up easily. 
And sometimes you have to fight. Sometimes you have to clean a little bit more thoroughly, sometimes a lot more thoroughly than you otherwise would realize. What do I mean by that? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Look with me in the Word of God. The Apostle Paul saying, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul writing to believers, Paul writing to Christians and saying, your lifestyle is supposed to change. Our lifestyle was supposed to be different. We're no longer to walk as those. The word Gentiles is used in a derogatory sense, respectfully, but in a negative sense, in that Christians are not supposed to walk as those who are in the darkness. We're not supposed to walk that way. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind seems to be a tie-in with Romans 12.1. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Not just an appearance of righteousness and holiness, but walking in righteousness and holiness. This is the difference between a deep cleanse and a quick clean. To truly walk in holiness, to truly walk in righteousness, is to walk with Jesus, is to keep the word of God. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What kind of blessing? Freedom. Freedom from what? From satanic activity. Look with me. Verse 25, Ephesians 4, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one, uh, one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And here it is. This is a foothold sandwich. This is an opportunity sandwich here in verse 27. Here's the meat of the passage. Here's the principle of the passage. Give no opportunity to the devil. Some versions say, do not give the devil a foothold. Why do I say this is a sandwich? Because that statement in verse 27 has bread on the top and bread on the bottom, a listing of sin. He's giving us an idea of what a foothold to Satan is. He's giving us an opportunity to understand what, an, what it means to give the devil an opportunity, and it is nothing other than sin. In the same way, that flies love dung, demons love sin. Sin gives demons the opportunity that they're looking for. They would love to come in and rest on you. Do you understand that sin is a welcome mat for satanic activity? In the life of a believer, written to believers here, not written to Gentiles, 
Do not give the devil an opportunity. And now he begins to explain even more. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. Why? Because that gives an opportunity to the devil. Rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. What comes out of your mouth can be an opportunity for the devil to do what? Screw up your life. Thwart you from the blessing of God. Create chaos where otherwise there would be order. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Does your talk, does your conversation give grace to those who are hearing it, or are you an ear sore? No corrupting talk, otherwise it's opportunity for the devil. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We need a whole other message just for that. When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We act out of character. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, we're getting the idea that Paul's just getting started here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Any sin is an opportunity for the devil. It's a dung heap that we put out for the Lord of the flies. Come here and hang out in my home. Come here and harass me. You might as well put a crosshairs on your chest, crosshairs on your back. Come and get me. See, we don't understand that in the same way that flies love dung, demons love sin. It gives the devil an opportunity that we should not give him. It gives the devil something that creates chaos and difficulty and hardship in our life. Paul's not being extensive. He's not being exhaustive. He's giving us examples. You can insert whatever it is that the Spirit of God is speaking to you about. Known, conscious areas of your life where God is speaking to you about and letting you know it's an opportunity for the devil to do what you should not allow him to do thwart you of the blessing of God. And he culminates in verse 32, be kind to one another. Are you characterized as being a kind person? Be kind to one another. The Gentiles aren't kind. People who aren't filled with the Holy Spirit aren't kind. People who are filled with the Holy Spirit are kind. One of the fruits of the Spirit be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Are you a tender-hearted person? One of the signs of spiritual maturity, tender-heartedness. Look at this. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Again, the importance, the centrality of forgiveness in the life of a Christ follower. If we are not characterized by forgiving those who've done wrong to us, if we will not release people, if we will not unleash forgiveness on another person, we are allowing ourselves to become a welcome mat for demonic activity. We are giving an opportunity to demonic activity. Now, I don't want to get into a whole discussion and debate about the demon inhabiting a Christian or just acting upon a Christian. I just want to come down in the safest place that we could come down on, which is what the Bible says. A Christian can give an opportunity to the devil to do what a Christian should not allow the devil to do. You don't want any demonic activity in your life if you're reading the Bible. You don't want any demonic activity in your life if you are a Christ follower. And the fact of the matter is that whenever you choose conscious sin, 
Whenever you choose to walk in a style of something other than repentance, you are choosing, I am choosing, anybody, God chooses no favorites, anybody who chooses to not walk in repentance is by default choosing to put out a welcome mat for demonic activity. And so it could be that the chaos in your life is not just due to misorganization on your part. It might not be because you just don't have the gift of management, and that's why your life is chaotic. It could be because you're not really dealing with a sin issue in your life. Does that mean it must be? No, it doesn't. Don't misquote me. It does not mean that if your life is chaotic, it is because of satanic activity. But I am asking you, and I'm pleading with you, and I'm begging with you, I really am, I'm on my knees asking you to consider that maybe some of the difficulties in your life could be because of unresolved sin issues that you're, you're settled for. Listen, you've settled for a quick cleanup when God is asking you to do a thorough cleanse because evil spirits will not give up easily. They don't give up easily. They prefer your warm and cozy environment. That's their preferred place. And the way we give them a welcome mat is by just allowing things in our life to go unresolved. Forgiveness, I don't need to forgive somebody. It's not important. What I could say out of my mouth doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I say about other people, that, I'm, that I gossip, that I slander. It doesn't matter that I have a root of bitterness. It doesn't matter that I steal. Statistics are staggering about how much workplace time is now stolen from employers by employees by using Facebook and social media and emailing and texting in the course of work. In a given work day, an employee will give up hours of work time because of the social media involvement and the texting and the emailing for private things that have nothing to do with work. The Bible calls that stealing. It's become culturally acceptable in today's world, but it is not biblically acceptable. We are not to give the devil a foothold. We are not to give the devil an opportunity. And the opportunity always comes when we are not willing to deal candidly with the things that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about in our lives. There's no such thing as a small sin when it comes to attracting the enemy. There's no such thing as a small sin, a sin that does not grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul is pleading with us in Ephesians. This is why the scriptures from beginning to end make that perpetual continual case that if we want the blessing of God, we must allow the Lord to do a work of repentance in our lives. We must follow the Lord, submit to the Lord, walk with the Lord, get serious about the Lord, allow him and invite him to do in us, with us, to us, through us, what we can't do for ourselves, and that is to clean house. That's what God does. That's the thing that God does. That's in the business that he's in. If he's in a business, God is in the business of cleaning up our lives. God is in the business of blessing us. He wants your life blessed. How much more than you realize? He wants to deal with the enemy. How much more than you realize? He's capable of dealing with the enemy. How much more than you realize? Because he's king of kings and lord of lords. You're dealing with the lord of the flies. We know somebody who's the lord of lords. And his name is Jesus. 
And it's by the finger of God that he casts out demons. There's no weapon formed against you that's more powerful than the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the one who is the messenger, the one who has the message. His name is Jesus. And what this passage is helping us understand is that Jesus has power and authority and ability to deal with every single problem facing you. The finger of God is moving. That's how come Jesus is doing what he's doing. The finger of God is moving because Jesus is not just a mere mortal. He's not just a miracle worker. He is the messenger with the message of repentance. And those who put their faith in Jesus will soar to heights otherwise only imaginable. Jesus and only Jesus can rescue you and rescue me and take us to places where otherwise it would be entirely impossible. You can have the Lord of the flies, but as for me, I want the Lord of Lords. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.